0: Good morning, Current. Thank you. So today we have the privilege of studying Psalm 66. Uh, If you have a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and open your Bible, Bible app, turn there with me, Psalm 66. We're going to be pretty much in there just the entire time. Uh, If you don't have a Bible or Bible app, it's no problem. When we read a Bible text, it'll come up on the screen, so no worries there. Uh, The psalm that was just read, Psalm 66, is a psalm about difficulty. Uh, It's a psalm about facing hardship and suffering. It's a psalm for the weary person. Uh, Like all of the psalms, this one invites us into the psalmist's own experience, to understand the author's story as our own, uh, their point of view, and then to join in that, to literally sing their experience as our own. If you were here last week, we talked a little bit about the Psalms and how the Psalms are literal songs, like designed for people to join in singing. And so today, if you are facing any kind of hardship, any kind of trial, any kind of difficulty or suffering, if you are even just tired and feel broken, uh, this Psalm from the Bible is a song for you. Uh, Very little is told to us about the context of Psalm 66. We don't know the specific author. Uh, Some scholars wonder if it was David. Other people hypothesize that it might have been Hezekiah, the 13th king of Judah. We don't know for sure. Uh, All we really know about the historical context is that it was written, uh, is a note that opens up the psalm. If you look in the Bible, sometimes you'll see these notes before the verses happen. And there's a uh, a note that says that this psalm was written for the director of music and that it was a song designed to be sung by others. Uh, like much of Hebrew poetry, if you, if you read or explore it, you'll, you'll realize there's this, this kind of characteristic there that the author has placed the heart of the song, the key point of the passage, in the very middle. So I'm going to read the middle section, kind of the catalyst for why this psalm was written. This is Psalm 66, verses 10 through 12. For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. The author of this psalm stands on the other side of a series of trials that they have endured and that they persevered in. Uh, The psalmist has gone through difficulty and pain, and from the other side reports back to us, not only their experience of suffering, but also some lessons they've learned, some ways that we too might learn how to endure and respond in our own times of trial and hardship. I should just say from the outset, you know, if you're going through something difficult or you're in the middle of a time of, like, real suffering or or pain, uh, there's nothing more hurtful or even annoying than hearing simplistic answers in the midst of a serious trial. Like, when we're hurting or we're going through something really challenging, we don't want to hear someone say, oh, it's all going to be okay. You know, God has a plan. Uh, Focus on the positive or, like, the social media, you know, thoughts and prayers with you. Uh, especially from someone we think has like no idea uh, of of the pain and the difficulty that we're experiencing in that moment. Even if the simple answers that people give might be true, or if we even recognize that the person means well, when we're hurting, we don't want to hear those kinds of simple answers. We want to shout like, you don't understand. Like you have no idea what I'm going through. You have no idea what I'm feeling right now. Keep that simple stuff to yourself. But If when we're suffering, we hear someone say something like, I remember when my husband died. I remember when we had another miscarriage. I remember when I lost my job, when I found out I was sick. Uh, When I remember when our church was in a crisis. Something like that changes how we hear a person. When someone listens and says something like that to us, we begin to believe that there might be a chance that they understand what we're going through. While, while the issues someone might have might be different, uh, encountering someone else who has stood in our shoes or in shoes like ours, someone who has faced serious trials and difficulty opens up our hearts. And we know in those moments that we're not alone in our experience. We're reminded that there are others who have journeyed on these paths before us and that there may have, they may have some wisdom to share back to us. Uh, I can remember when my wife Rachel and I faced one of our most difficult seasons, uh, one of our most serious trials a couple years into our marriage, uh, my wife Rachel all of a sudden started having really serious seizures, like like uh, pass out unconscious seizures for after she had a seizure, like the real scary stuff. Uh, we had really young kids at the time, and we had no idea what the cause of these seizures were, and so we feared for the worst, you know, brain tumor, neurological disease, And as we began this sort of myriad of tests that you do when this happens, we were just very raw emotionally, and we didn't want simple answers. Uh, In that season, I was genuinely, I was like mad at God. How could he do this to my wife? Where was he in the middle of this difficulty? Uh, And I can remember back to that season, you know, over 15 years ago now, uh, that I was so thankful that I had people in my life who had faced serious challenges as well. Uh, I had one friend who had lost his teenage son in a car accident, uh, that his, his wife was the one driving the car, and it was just a brutal difficulty. Uh, I had another mentor who was living with a spouse who had progressively debilitating MS for over a decade. And these were people whose lives I could look at and I could be encouraged by. They were people who were faithful to God even after facing crushing difficulties and trials. Uh, in Psalm 66, the, the author, the psalmist, offers to play a role like that for us today to speak to us out of the overflow of their own experience of difficulty. They have faced serious trials. Their situation is described as a burden on their back. Uh, Other translations call it a crushing burden. Uh, They've gone through fire. Verse 12 says that. And while the specific situation is not given, this is a song written by someone familiar with pain and suffering, and yet they're on the other side. And, And this section ends with the psalmist saying about God. Verse 12, yet you have brought us to a place of abundance. Uh, The counsel given in the is from someone who's endured under great trials and speak wisdom on the other side, having remained faithful to God. And so the Psalmist is not just able to empathize, not just able to say, I I know what it's like to go through something hard. They're also able to provide some counsel on how we too can endure in our own times of hardship. And so as we look at the Psalm today, I wanna give us five things, some of which are kind of counterintuitive possibly, that this Psalm calls us to do when we face trials and hardships. Five things we can do right now in the midst of whatever difficulty we are facing. Uh, So the first thing Psalm 66 teaches us when we face hardship, number one, sing. Sing. Verses one through four, we see that. This is, after all, a song, and the psalmist is clear that one of the ways that we can be strengthened in our own time of difficulty is to sing and to sing joyfully. Uh, Verses one through four start the psalm like this. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praises to you. They sing the praises of your name. Three times in that text, we're told to sing. We're told to shout in joy and say aloud, how awesome are your deeds. Wouldn't it be awesome if I had a great voice and I just sang that? I'm not going to do that. When you're in the middle of something difficult, singing for joy might seem like a kind of living in denial, ignoring or repressing your true feelings. And I want to be clear that the psalms don't teach us to do that. Uh, if you read the psalms, if you engage with them, which I hope you do over this, this month that we're spending in them, there are a number of very honest psalms of people crying out to God in despair, in anger. The Bible is refreshingly honest in the psalms. Uh, during that time when Rachel and I were going through that difficulty with trying to figure out what was going on with her seizures, I was, I was really mad at God. Like, in my prayers, I cursed at God. Like, real curse words. like not church, Like, not like... Darn you, you know, like like if I said them on TV, they would be like muted or bleeped, like those kinds of words. I was furious at God and I told God how I felt. But it wasn't all I told him. There, there was a point in which I needed to stop allowing my feelings to control me. I needed to acknowledge my feelings, but also to not allow them to dictate everything I thought about the situation and about reality. Because you know this, I know this, our feelings aren't always reliable. They're they're one indicator we have. They, They tell us something, but they don't tell us everything. And underneath my feelings was this question, right? Is God good? Is he trustworthy? Is God good even in the midst of my wife's pain and illness? And the psalm teaches us that sometimes we need to sing something that we don't yet feel, that we don't presently feel. I didn't feel joy in that season because we believe that it's true. And this isn't a denial of the reality of our actual feelings, but it's a refusal to be governed by our feelings alone. Singing words of praise to God is speaking truth to the sometimes overwhelming power of our emotions. Uh, Biologically, even if you were to study this, singing strengthens and reinforces like neural pathways in our brains. Uh, that, that, that we do that we're going to need uh, when we face a trial. So if you sing something joyful, you're actually creating like a neural pathway in your brain so that when you face a difficulty, there's like a road there to go down again. Uh, it's, it's helpful in the moments not only when we're singing, but also later on when we'll need to come back to these truths, to see things we've sung about later in our journey. If you consider how enslaved people in America sung spiritual songs of hope, even in the midst of brutal, enduring injustice. They were governed not just by their feelings, not just by their circumstances. Those things didn't dictate their faith. No, they sung prophetically songs of hope. And and the ancestors of that is gospel music. Gospel music is born. And so generations of people to come have and continue to be strengthened by gospel songs of truth and hope. A broken people singing changed the world. And so Psalm 66 teaches us that when we face trials and hardship, we too need to sing. Uh, The second thing Psalm 66 teaches us is that when we face hardship, number two, we need to remember. Remember. We see that in verses 5 through 9. When we face trials, we need to remember. Uh, Verse 5 begins a section in which the psalmist remembers how God acted in relation to the people of Israel. This was God's kind of chosen country and the people he was interacting with in the Old Testament in a special way. Let me read it to you. It says this. Come and see what God has done, his awesome deeds for mankind. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in him. He rules forever by his power. His eyes watch the nations. Let not the rebellious rise up against him. Praise our God, all peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. He has preserved our lives and kept our feet from slipping. If you know the story of the the people of Israel, there's this constant Uh, protection and provision that God is doing for them. Uh, It's been been noted also that Psalm 66 kind of has a unique uh, pattern in which the psalm starts with a broad audience, like really broad, and then it becomes increasingly specific. So another thing you could notice about the the shape of this poem and song is that it starts sort of universal and then national, and then eventually it's going to move to kind of an individual response. Uh, At first, the psalmist addresses the whole world. We see that in verses one, things like, shout for joy to God, all the earth. Or verse 4, all the earth bows down to you. Verse 5, his awesome deeds for mankind. These big, lofty, universal declarations. And the author of the psalm starts starts with the world in mind, reminds the reader or the singer that God is the God of the whole world. Uh, The psalm begins by kind of broadening our, our, our sense of reality, our vision, reminding us and the people of Israel that God is not just their personal deity. He's not just the God of our people, of one culture, of one period of time but that he's actually the God of all people, the God over every culture throughout all of history. And don't misunderstand me, what I'm trying to say here. I don't think the psalmist is advocating sort of the ideas that, you know, every culture's view of God is correct. I don't think that's what he's saying. I don't think mutually contradictory ideas can all be true at the same time. I don't think the author is sort of agreeing with that kind of popular view that every worldview has bits of truth, but no one has unique access to truth. I don't, I don't think that's what he's saying either. I don't think the psalmist is sort of, if you've heard this analogy, you know, affirming that all religions are just blind men misunderstanding the elephant part that they're touching or, you know, I'm talking if you guys have ever heard that analogy before. Rather, I think what's happening here is the psalmist, what they're doing here is reminding us that we, individual people here in the Bay Area as well, you and me, we don't have a monopoly on experience with God. It's not to affirm the the pluralist, the person who thinks everyone's right, but to confront the individualist, the individualist in each of us that thinks only we are right. The psalmist reminds us that God is bigger than any of us, that he's bigger than our suffering and our trials, whether individual or national that God is and has been sovereign over every nation, over every trial that has ever been faced. Some of us need to be reminded of that truth today. And as Psalm 66 progresses, the focus narrows, and the psalmist begins to describe how God has been faithful specifically to the people of Israel. While while the psalmist reminds us that God is the God of the whole world, he also wants us to remember that God has specifically been faithful to the people of Israel. The psalmist remembers that God, in verse 6, Turned the sea into dry land. Uh, They passed through waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in him. Uh, That's kind of an allusion to a story in the Old Testament. And the the psalmist is likely recounting how after 400 years of slavery to Pharaoh in Egypt, God rescued the Israelites. He brought them out of Egypt into the promised land to begin a new nation for themselves. And during this rescue, God used Moses to bring the Hebrews to the edge of the Red Sea, and the armies of the Egyptian pharaoh were closing in on them, and God shows up. Have you guys seen *The Prince of Egypt, the movie, or, or, you know, one of those kind of movies? Uh, Maybe you're familiar with the story. Sometimes we forget the details. Uh, During this trial, the Israelites had actually lost confidence in God. Uh, They had had lost confidence in Moses, and they were facing a hardship and a trial, and they were wavering in their faith. And so I just want to read you Exodus 10, or Exodus 14, 10 through 18. Let me read this text, which is fresh in our mind, what the psalmist is referring to. Exodus 14, 10 through 18. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they cried out to God. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us in the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, you need only be still. And then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the waters, so the Israelites can go through the sea on the dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, so they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. This is a real important story for the nation of Israel. The psalmist reminds the original audience and us today that there have been other times. In which they were afraid. Other times in which you might have lost faith, and yet do you remember? God did not abandon them then. God showed up and rescued them. Maybe He's done something like that in your own life as well. Can you remember a story like that in your own life that you need to remember? Can you look back in your life and remember a time that God showed up and rescued? A marriage that was saved a time of grief that's been healed, a depression endured, a body restored, a relationship reconciled? Uh, Even if you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, can you look into your past and see something unexplainable, A a time when God might have been showing up or speaking? Maybe in your present season of trial, it would be good to remember a past time when God showed up for you. Because for most of us, we too have a history with God, and there are moments when we take the time to remember that we clearly know that God is working in our past difficulties. Maybe, though, you're thinking, I can't think of one. I can't think of a time when God is working. That's okay. I want you to consider this. Maybe this present moment you're in, this present difficulty you're facing, whatever you're enduring or experiencing today might be encouragement for you in the future. Remembering the past reminds us that even that is possible. Psalm 66 teaches us that when we face trials and hardship, we need to remember God's faithfulness in our stories and in our histories. Maybe this week you can take time to remember and write out some ways that God has been faithful to the, into you in the past or at lunch with your, your partner, or your friends, you know, recount some times that God might have showed up very clearly in your life or, or share with some friends some time in which it's very clear that God helped you or met you in a time of need. Uh, we all need to remember those times if we are to endure in seasons of difficulty and crisis. Okay, third thing, Psalm 66 teaches us that when we face hardship, we must, number three, believe. Believe. We see that in verses 10 through 12. When we face hardship, we need to believe. God had rescued the people of Israel time and time again. He'd been faithful to defeat their enemies, to save them from death and defeat. But then we come to those verses, that section of verse 10 through 12, that, that middle section that I said was sort of the heart or the crux of this psalm. And the psalmist describes God's actions a little bit differently God isn't just described as the people's rescuer. He's actually in some way behind their trial. He says this, uh, verses 10 through 12, For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance." I'll just acknowledge this is a difficult text to understand, and yet this isn't like the sermon or the message to parse out how God's sovereign control works, how free will works, how God is in control, and yet the Bible describes the world as being broken and uh, rebellion against God and broken by sin. These are really, like, important issues and questions that a text like this brings up, and I believe they're really great, sufficient answers. Uh, but what I really want to highlight this morning is that the psalmist is able to praise God even while he maintains that God is fully in control during his trials and hardships. I think many of us, we get stuck in seasons of difficulty, and we seem to think that if God is good and something bad happens, then he must not be in control. Or we think that if God is in control and something bad happens, then he must not be good. The psalmist doesn't seem to get stuck on either of those two conclusions. And here's my guess why. Here's my best, my best sense for why that might be the case. I think the psalmist sees their difficulties as circumstances used by God for their own benefit, for his own benefit or her own benefit, and refinement. I love how Augustine, the fourth century African scholar, he, he commented on this psalm, Psalm 66, about this. He said, you have not fired us like hay, but like silver. By applying to us fire, you have not turned us into ashes, but you have washed off our uncleanliness. You have brought us into the net, not that we might be caught and die, but that we might be tried and delivered from it. You laid a crushing burden on our backs, for in our pride we had lifted ourselves up. But when we were bowed down, in order that being bowed down, we should be lifted up for good. I love that perspective from Augustine. And yet, I I totally recognize how difficult it is to maintain Do you believe that God is powerful enough to use what you are going through right now to ultimately refine and benefit you? How about using this present trial to benefit other people, for them to be able to look at your story and be like, man, wow, that is deeply encouraging, how that person was faithful in the midst of that difficulty or endured in the midst of that difficulty. Is it possible that God is working in this difficulty for your good or for the greater good uh, that you can do for someone else? Psalm 66 teaches us that we must believe that God can redeem and use any hardship for our good and for the good of others. Okay, fourth thing Psalm 66 teaches us is that when we face hardship, we must, number four, obey. We see that in verses 13 through 15. We face hardships and trials, we must obey. Uh, As Psalm 66 continues, the, the focus of the psalm becomes more personal. Beginning in verse 13 and through the end of the psalm, the psalmists now use personal pronouns. Uh, The text is now their own story. Uh, Let me read verses 13 through 15. I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you. Vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. I will sacrifice fat animals to you and an offering of rams I will offer bulls and goats. Uh, The psalmist is now reflecting on their life after facing hardship and commits to a life of sacrificial obedience in accordance with the law uh, of that time. Uh, He's going to follow through with the things he vowed to do when he was in trouble. He's going to obey the statutes that God called the Israelites to in the law. He's going to give back sacrificially to God because what God has done for him. Uh, I think for us, though, how easy it is for us, even for those of us who consider ourselves Christians, to stop obeying God when things are difficult. When things are difficult, we feel overwhelmed, and we feel burdened, and so maybe we tell ourselves, we tell ourselves, I I do this, I know myself, that I'm entitled to some kind of disobedience. Often that looks like some kind of indulgence, right? Like doing something or overdoing something we know is wrong. Some of us are prone to that kind of sin and disobedience in times of hardship. Others of us might react the opposite way. We don't become indulgent, we become stingy. We, We tell ourselves, with everything that I'm going through, everything going on in my life, uh, you know, I don't, I don't need to do something. I, I, I don't need uh, to be patient. I don't need to forgive a person or serve or be generous. Uh, I have a teenage daughter. She's very much like this. When things are difficult, it's just like, watch out. Like, she's going to be mean. But the psalmist demonstrates obedience, not indulgence or stinginess. And one of the ways that we are to endure in a trial and thrive after a trial is by simple Obedience. We do what God calls us to do. We live the life modeled for us by Jesus. We we, we stay in touch with the fruit of the Spirit. We reject the temptation to indulgence or stinginess. We stay obedient to his commands. We keep being generous with our love towards others. Is there something you are increasingly tempted towards in seasons of difficulty? Can you think of that thing? That might be another conversation to have with a friend this week or at lunch today. You might say something like, here's something that I'm tempted towards in seasons of stress and of suffering. Can you pray for me and check in with me regarding this? Okay, lastly, the the fifth thing that Psalm 66 teaches us when we face hardship is that we must, number five, tell someone. You see this in verse 16 through 19. The final call from Psalm 66 is that we are supposed to share our experiences with others. Let me read verse 16 through 19. Come and hear all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he has done for me. I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. I believe that this is true both in the middle of and after our trials. We need to share with others during our trials because we need other people to be praying for us. We need to hear their stories. We need people to listen and to empathize with us. Uh, we actually need to hear and also help carry the struggles of others, to remind ourselves that we're not the only ones facing trials. Sometimes that's a good thing, right? You're, you're going through a hard thing, you talk to your friend, you realize, wow, someone else is going been really difficult as well, like pulls you out of yourself a little bit. None of us are meant to struggle in isolation, but that is what so many of us choose to do. Uh, maybe it's pride, maybe it's fear, maybe it's lack of vulnerability, uh, but I want to be clear, I don't think anyone gets better in isolation, uh, there's a dynamic I've noticed uh, being a pastor and working with churches over the years uh, that happens like this when people are going through a hard time. Uh, I've done this myself in seasons. Uh, it looks like this. You know, someone starts to go through something difficult. They start to feel overwhelmed. And then they're going to go through something hard. And they have this feeling that they need to pull back from relationships in order to, like, take care of themselves. And that sounds really good, right? So people are like, hey, they're going through something hard. Give them space. If they're involved in church, you know, we pull back. We might drop out of our small group, stop serving, stop attending uh, church or attend infrequently. Uh, Usually we pull back from friends and from relationships. We begin to self-isolate. And here's what I've noticed again and again and again. When we do this, we don't get better. Usually we stagnate or we spiral. And in isolation, our problems grow and we've cut ourselves off then from the very mechanism that God has given us, Christian community, to help us in the middle of our trial. And it's not until we re-engage with others that we begin to experience breakthroughs. And so if you are struggling today, just a bit of advice, don't pull back from relationships with one another. When we're in the middle of trials and hardships, let's work together to press in in those moments. It feels counterintuitive, like I'm, I'm, I'm struggling, it's hard. Those are the moments when you need other people more than any other time. Okay, lastly, we need to tell people not just uh, during our trials, but also after we have endured our difficulties and our trials. Uh, we should want to, to testify and to share to how God has brought us through our struggles and our suffering. That's why the psalmist writes this song. It's the author sharing their story with us right on the other side, and he calls us then to go and to do the same. This can happen inside, outside of the church. If you're a Christian, you can testify to encourage other believers. You can also testify to people who don't yet believe so that they might be drawn to the faith. They might be helped by God in their own time of trial and struggle. Uh, There's a power in sharing with others our stories of God's faithfulness or presence after and even in the middle of our suffering. You may not have all the answers to someone's questions about faith, but each of us has a story and a testimony of God's enduring faithfulness in our lives. Tell someone yours. And for those of us who are Christians, the center of those stories that we are called to tell people is the person of Jesus. And that's why Christianity is called Christianity and not Christianism. It's following a person. It's not a philosophy or a set of beliefs. And ultimately, for the Christian, what this psalm should teach us is that Jesus is who we sing about, that's what we do here in worship. That Jesus is who we remember, that's what we do in communion, which we're gonna do in a few moments. It's Jesus who we believe in, that's what we declare in baptism, you ever seen a baptism, there's a confession, it's this declaration of who Jesus is, it's a belief. Jesus is who we obey, that's what we are encouraging to do when we're doing uh, preaching and serving. And Jesus is who we tell people about, that's what I'm hoping to do in preaching and when we share our faith. It's Jesus' death and resurrection which ultimately makes our hardship bearable. And I really do believe this is true, that there's no greater answer to whatever trial you are facing than coming into a real relationship with Jesus Christ. And there's a unique reason why. It's not a a pat, easy reason. Uh, Augustine, that same fourth century African theologian, also said this. He said, God had one son on earth without sin, but never one without suffering. This is the hope of the gospel. That Jesus lived a life that we couldn't and we haven't lived, a life free from sin, and yet he understands at the same time our suffering. Because he lived a fully human life with all of its struggles, with all of its temptations and trials, and yet he endured. If we look to him, we also can endure. We see a model for what suffering and enduring looks like. As Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 says this: for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Today, each of us have that opportunity to look to Jesus, to cry out for mercy, to find grace from God in our time of need. Whether you're a follower of Jesus, or if you want to cry out to him for the very first time, it is Jesus who allows us to conclude our sermon with the psalmist, the last verse of Psalm 66. Praise be to God, who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love from me. Let's pray. God, I love that one of the unique things about this faith is that we worship and emulate a suffering Savior who knows what it's like to be human, who knows what it's like to hurt who knows what it's like to be betrayed. And yet he overcame. And yet he endured. God, I pray that as we look at the face of Jesus, that we would be drawn to him in worship, that we would love him, and that we'd want to give our lives fully to him. So in his name we pray. Amen.